Hi, everybody. Cheryl Ackeson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Ackeson Podcast. Today, some startling and eye-opening examples of how intel agencies, government, and corporations have co-opted and controlled the news media. In this age of a highly controlled media landscape, it's never been more important to fight the heavy hand of censorship and support truly independent journalism. Go to CherylAckison.com and click the store tab for a great way to do that. There are all kinds of cool products. A lot of them make great gifts that feature catchphrases like, I tested positive for critical thinking and do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. Proceeds support independent journalism causes like the Cheryl Ackeson Ion Awards for off-narrative, accurate reporting. Go to CherylAckeson.com and click the store tab. I'd like to play for you a really important video that is said to have been filmed back in 1983, and it was circulated recently by Edward Snowden on Twitter. And it was recirculated by Glenn Greenwald on Twitter. It has to do with an inside explanation from a former CIA person about how the intelligence agencies manipulate reporters at major newspapers and magazines. And I can tell you that this still happens today. Only I think it's easier than ever for intelligence and FBI officials and other propagandists inside the government to get reporters to report their disinformation. So first, let me play this for you, then we'll talk about it a little bit afterwards. But this is a former CIA analyst named Frank Snepp. And in this interview filmed in 1983, he's talking about, as Glenn Greenwald describes, how the newspapers and magazines you were taught to regard as mainstream and reliable have always eagerly served as disinformation megaphones for the CIA and the U.S. security state. The press, did you not when you were there? Well, I had several jobs. One of my jobs was that of analyst. Uh, I also was an interrogator and indeed briefed the press when we, the CIA, wanted to uh, circulate disinformation on a particular issue. Disinformation is not necessarily, uh, not necessarily a lie. It may be a half-truth. And uh, we would pick out a journalist. I would go do the briefing and uh, hope that he would put the information in print. For instance, if we wanted to get uh, across to the American public that the North Vietnamese were building up their force structure in South Vietnam, I would go to a journalist and advise him that in the past uh, six months, X number of North Vietnamese forces had come down the Ho Chi Minh Trail system through southern Laos. Now, there is no way a journalist can check that information. So either he goes with the information or he doesn't, and ordinarily or usually, the journalist would go with it because it, was, it looked like some kind of exclusive. And um, I would say our percentage uh, planning that kind of data was uh, 70 to 80 percent. The correspondents we targeted were those who had terrific influence, the most uh, respected journalists in Saigon, like Robert Chaplin of the New Yorker magazine, Kai's Beach uh, of the Los Angeles Times from time to time, and also he worked for the Chicago Daily News. Uh, Bud Merrick of U.S. News and World Report, uh, Malcolm Brown of the New York Times, uh, even Maynard Parker of Newsweek magazine. 
uh, we would uh, go after these gentlemen. Uh, I would uh, be directed to cultivate them, to spend time with them at uh, the Caravelle Hotel or the Continental Hotel, to socialize with them, and, and slowly but surely to try to gain their confidence by dolloping out uh, valid information, information which was true. And then I would drop in a, into a conversation the data that we wanted to get across which might not be true. Uh, one piece of data, for instance, uh, that we managed to plan in the New Yorker magazine had to do with uh, a supposed North Vietnamese effort in 1973 to develop airfields along the border of South Vietnam. The reason we wanted to plant this information was that we were trying to persuade the U.S. Congress that Saigon should uh, be continued to uh, should continue to get a great deal of aid, uh, and that uh, the North Vietnamese were the chief violators of the ceasefire accord. That was printed in uh, the New Yorker magazine under the byline of Robert Chaplin, as indeed was a great deal of such information which uh, which we tried to circulate. If I planted a piece of information with a reporter, I would ordinarily then try to create an environment in which he could not check the information. I would go to the British ambassador and brief him on the disinformation I had just given the reporter. So when the reporter wanted to cross-check what I told him with, uh, say, the British ambassador, New Zealand ambassador, or what have you, he would get false confirmation, the same message coming back at him. He'd say, aha, I've got proof that Frank Snap told me the truth when in fact what he'd gotten was simply an echo of what uh, I'd given him in the first place via the British ambassador or other of our friendly diplomatic contacts. I am, as an ex-CI agent, uh, opposed to the disinformation activities uh, in which I was involved. I admit that I was involved and I think it uh, uh, served no useful purpose uh, propagandizing the American uh, public or Congress is not the CIA's job. So he really reveals a lot in that short period of time there. And that should have rocked everybody's world back in 1983 and embarrassed the news organizations that were named. But to this day, those same news organizations, I can tell you, have still been used for the same purpose, not just by the CIA, but by many propagandists working in government or on behalf of political or corporate interests. More on that after a short break. Eyeshadow has come a long way since you swiped on one color at a time or practically had to take a master class in cosmetics to get the shading right. Hi, I'm Star, owner of The Lemonade Mermaid, and I've designed an exclusive shade-shifting multichrome pigment for eyes that's like no other you'll ever see. Just swipe it on your eyelids and the magic happens. Depending on the angle and light, it shifts between hues of golden pink or green and pink and even purple and gold. The shading is done for you. Just $25 for a jar that will last you months. My website is store.lemonademermaid.life. And listeners of this podcast can get 20% off these incredible pigments by using the checkout code PODCAST. I hope to see you at store.lemonademermaid.life today. That the news media has been turned into propaganda arms is no great secret, but I don't mean figuratively, I mean literally, and I've chronicled this takeover 
in my books, Stonewalled, Slanted, and The Smear. I've experienced myself working in the news, first in local news, and then at CNN, CBS, and PBS, and now my independent television show. But if you've read the books that I've written about it, you've known about this shift before the general public at large probably knew. And the only reason the propagandists are successful in their takeover of the news is because a large percentage of the media and the public buy into it, even those who are aware of what's going on. They still treat these propaganda news sources as if they're legitimate news sources, which allows the propagandists to operate in this amazing environment for them. I mean, they probably can't believe their luck that for little to no cost, they can promulgate their messages and their slanted, often false information almost unchallenged. Without this environment... Had there been what used to be, I guess what we would call a more normal news environment, there is zero chance the Trump-Russia collusion scandal would have happened because nobody would have given any credence to the ridiculous leaks and disinformation that turned out to have come from conflicted FBI and intelligence officials that were passing along political opposition research from the Clinton campaign, literally sourced to an unreliable Russian source of all people, And the Hunter Biden laptop story would have been properly reported in the press. Big tech, controlled by corporate and government political interests, wouldn't be able to censor the way it does now. All of this is possible because of the news media takeover. Their independent watchdog function is virtually gone. In fact, younger people today probably don't know of a news media that used to operate in a less conflicted fashion where they would examine stories and controversies without this obvious political overtone whereby the viewers have to sit there and wonder which side they're on and how the information might be skewed accordingly. It didn't used to be that way. And I'm not saying there wasn't always an element of influence in the news because there has been, but nothing like we're seeing today. I'm going to go over some Very specific examples of how we could have and should have seen all of this coming. The evidence is right there. Compromise reporting has always existed in a way as a result of covert collaborations between reporters and political officials, Democrats and Republicans alike. And I've talked about some of these instances in my book, my New York Times bestseller, The Smear, improper collusion that surfaced during the Bush administration and the available evidence was heavy on Democrat ties to the media due to the nature of the available documents and leaks, which were pretty extraordinary. It can be argued that some individual accounts that you're going to hear can be rationalized as not serious breaches of journalistic ethics, but taken as a whole, I think you'll see how we as journalists have done a very poor job at protecting ourselves from the propagandists, from being co-opted by organized interests, often ones that are paid and politically motivated. So whether we realize it or not, they figured out how to exploit us in the media and use us to publish their propaganda. Opinion reporters and those who work for obviously ideological news groups are entitled to publish party propaganda. It's one matter to provide viewpoint journalism, but it's quite another for us to act as a tool of interest, publishing narratives and talking points upon suggestion or demand without disclosing we've done just that. The following examples come from Human Sources, Freedom of Information Act documents, and WikiLeaks emails. This was when WikiLeaks was 
a huge factor in getting some of this information out, which is why, in my view, it's been targeted so heavily by government and political interests. So it could be stopped after exposing some of these hard truths about politics and the media. To the extent that these people I'm talking about in just a moment have offered comment on these documents and their role or their links to party officials, they've denied doing anything improper or unethical. And some of the reporters have explained publicly that the reason they did what I think is indefensible, provided advanced drafts of stories to their new subjects or allowed the subjects to make their editorial choices, Well, some have said that was to be responsible as part of a fact check, and some have commented that their actions reflect a common practice. Let's start with Associated Press. The State Department considered AP, Associated Press reporters, Matt Lee and Bradley Clapper, what they called friendlies, and planned to, quote, place Hillary Clinton email stories with them and dictate the timing of their release. The goal was to blunt the June 2015 news that Hillary Clinton had failed to provide Congress certain required emails in their investigation. Now, Clinton campaign press officer Nick Merrill coordinated directly with the State Department on a plan to use the AP to, quote, lay this out before the Republican majority on the Benghazi committee has a chance to realize what they have and distort it. Merrill posited further in email documents that were leaked It would be good to frame this a little and, frankly, to have it break tomorrow when we'll likely be close or in the midst of a Supreme Court decision taking over the news hyenas. AP published a story the following day. Think about this. These are political operatives determining the timing of something that it wanted to be released in the national press through AP and getting exactly what they wanted. The pro-Hillary Clinton Super PAC American Bridge, Political Action Committee American Bridge, claimed that it, quote, placed negative stories about Jeb Bush with AP and other news outlets. In August of 2015, the Clinton campaign was reeling in damage control mode over revelations about Hillary Clinton's improper email usage, and her aide in an email, Cheryl Mills, laid out what she called her personal preferences for getting their side of the story out to the public in the most favorable way possible. They included feeding information to AP and determining the timing of its release. Again, this may not be of huge surprise to you today, but when I first wrote about this years ago, I think a lot of people in the public didn't understand that political and corporate operatives were calling the shots with news. They thought news reporters were breaking stories with special sources and maybe didn't understand that these sources were just picking up the phone and calling certain reporters and giving them these so-called scoops, often anonymously, and the reporters were claiming victory for getting the scoops when, in fact, they were being used as propagandist tools. Another propaganda group that's well-noted, The Atlantic, Mark Ambender from The Atlantic at the time asked a Hillary Clinton aide once for an advanced text of a speech that she was going to make, And the aide in response dictated conditions, things that M. Bender would have to agree to to get an advanced text of a speech that, quite frankly, was not terribly remarkable and not a scoop. But this deal was going on behind the scenes because M. Bender would call it a scoop and the Hillary Clinton aide would call it a big victory for getting the story out the way he wanted it. But among the conditions dictated to The Atlantic by Hillary Clinton aide Philippe Rines, number one, 
you in your own voice describe Hillary's words as muscular, to which Ambender agreed. There were other conditions, and in the resulting article, it looks like Mark Ambender followed all of them. And I will note that his article was not the only one that used that weird description of Hillary's speech as muscular, which indicates to me that Philippe Rines likely got to other members of the media and they all agreed to use the term muscular. Ambender formerly worked for ABC, CBS, and National Journal. These reporters who do print propaganda from political campaigns and the government and so on seem to make their way around and continue getting jobs and getting promotions even despite the revelations of what they're doing, which I think is the big tell that the industry understands exactly what's going on and that the editors are hiring people with a goal in mind to promulgate certain narratives. Hiring reporters that they understand will do just that. An example with CBS News. According to documents, the State Department of the White House indicated that they had arranged with CBS News Face the Nation for then-Secretary of State John Kerry to be shielded from any questions about that Hillary Clinton email controversy. The White House's Jennifer Palmieri emailed a State Department spokesman Jen Psaki on March 12, 2015, quote, think we can get this done so Kerry is not asked about email. Despite the fact that Kerry's appearance on Face the Nation happened just two days after Hillary Clinton held her first press conference on her very controversial and potentially illegal actions regarding her disappearing emails, Kerry was not asked about the controversy. CBS News said there was no discussion about or agreement to limit questions. CNBC. CNBC anchor and New York Times contributor John Harwood, who moderated a Republican presidential debate, appears to have offered, in emails later leaked, compliments, helpful thoughts, and analyses to the Clinton campaign. And on September 21, 2015, Harwood appears to have solicited editorial ideas from Clinton campaign chair John Podesta for Harwood's upcoming interview with Republican presidential candidate Jeb Bush. Harwood asks Podesta, what should I ask Jeb in speakeasy interview tomorrow? Example from CNN. On April 28, 2016, a Democratic National Committee official indicated that the DNC would supply CNN with questions to ask Republican presidential candidate Ted Cruz. In an email titled, Cruise on CNN, the Democrat official emails colleagues that CNN is looking for questions. Please send some topical, interesting ones. Maybe a couple on Fiorina, another presidential candidate at the time. Someone please take point and send them all together by 3 p.m. Thank you. In another internal email within the Clinton campaign, officials emailed each other about the CNN politics producer saying that Dan Merica and Hillary Clinton were, quote, basically courting each other. In another email, Democratic National Committee Chair Donna Brazil, who was then a CNN contributor, said she obtained an advanced presidential debate question and passed it on to the Hillary campaign. That question was later asked by CNN in a March 13th Democratic presidential town hall that included Democrat Bernie Sanders, and was co-hosted by CNN. In other words, the Democratic National Committee was conspiring for Hillary against Bernie Sanders at the same time the DNC chair was a CNN contributor and feeding at least one advanced question 
to the Hillary camp. Brazil says she didn't do what she allegedly said she did in the email. And then a second email revealed that Brazil passed along to the Clinton campaign another advanced question in advance of a CNN primary debate between Clinton and Sanders. Brazil wrote, quote, one of the questions directed to HRC, Hillary Clinton, tomorrow is from a woman with a rash. Her family has lead poison, and she will ask, what, if anything, will Hillary do as president to help the people of Flint? Talking about Flint, Michigan. Brazil wrote this on March 5th, 2016. And sure enough, on March 6th, the woman fitting the description asked a similar question to that. CNN political commentator Maria Cardona emailed Democratic National Committee officials a draft of her opinion piece that attacked Bernie Sanders prior to the upcoming Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia, she invited the Democrat officials to have editorial input and made changes to her article accordingly, asking the DNC then, the Democratic National Committee, is this better? As she sent a revised draft. The pro-Hillary Clinton super PAC American Bridge claimed that it placed negative stories about Jeb Bush with CNN and other news outlets, as I mentioned earlier with AP. American Bridge also claimed that a report that it produced against the conservative Koch brothers, billionaire donors, resulted in a high-profile CNN story. The Daily Beast, big propaganda outlet, Eleanor Clift of the Daily Beast appears to feel left out in some emails that were revealed when she wasn't invited to a Clinton campaign dinner for reporters as Hillary Clinton was launching her run for president. On April 10, 2015, Clift writes... Clinton campaign chair John Podesta, John, I completely understand why dinner at your home did not include someone like me, who's a known quantity to Clinton campaign veterans, but I wanted to make an appeal for an early opportunity to get myself and the Daily Beast political editor, Jackie Kucinich, on your radar so I, we can write and report knowledgeably. There's a long campaign ahead, and I'd like to establish a line of communications. Is there an assistant that I should go through? I look forward to working with you and maybe getting some of that pasta and walnut sauce dish. All best, Eleanor. The reference to the menu was because it had been reported in the press that John Podesta had gathered some reporters and served pasta and walnut sauce. The online blog Daily Coast doesn't really pretend to be anything other than a Democrat Party propaganda source and attack dog, and yet, for some reason... Some others in the media treat it as if it's a legitimate news organization. In any event, a source for the pro-Hillary Clinton smear group Media Matters named Daily Coast as one of several news outlets that are helpful in getting out the Media Matters agenda. Media Matters, and you may know from one of my previous books, as I traced a lot of their funding interests, created to be a Hillary Clinton defender sort of propaganda group, and has many, many arms to it and facets to it with different independent-sounding groups, while the strings are typically pulled by just a handful of people and the same big Democrat funders and donors. Anyway, Media Matters also considered the Huffington Post, of course, really good at putting out their propaganda. You probably already knew this about the Huffington Post. But according to a Media Matters source who was talking to the conservative Daily Caller, Quote, the Huffington Post guys were good, Sam and Nico. The context being when the Media Matters source said they were good, 
He was speaking of reporters who will report what Media Matters puts out. And the comment was apparently referring to reporters Nico Pitney and Sam Stein. The Los Angeles Times. Ken Delanian, who covered the CIA for the LA Times, explicitly promised positive news coverage and sometimes sent the CIA press office entire story drafts for review prior to publication. That's according to The Intercept, which obtained internal CIA emails and called Delanian the CIA's mop-up man. Delanian went on to work for AP, and I believe he now works for NBC News. These people that are conflicted and just keep working their way up the chain as they report government and political propaganda. Another person named as good for putting out Media Matters propaganda at the LA Times was someone named Jim Rainey, who the Media Matters source said took a lot of our stuff. A Media Matters source also said MSNBC was really good for putting out their propaganda. Quote, Media Matters staff had the direct line of MSNBC President Phil Griffin and used it, said the Media Matters source. If we published something negative about Fox in the morning, MSNBC would have it on the air that night verbatim. We were pretty much writing their prime time. But then virtually all the mainstream media was using our stuff. And also at NBC slash MSNBC, the Clinton campaign believed it could count on Andrea Mitchell to conduct a helpful interview upon its request with Hillary Clinton amid that same email controversy we discussed in 2015. That's according to emails released by WikiLeaks. The New York Times, New York Times reporter Scott Shane privately provided the State Department Public Affairs Office with what appeared to be an advanced New York Times story publication schedule regarding a major controversy surrounding Hillary Clinton's State Department. Also at the New York Times, helpful to the Media Matters narrative, according to a Media Matters source, was Brian Stelter, who then went on to work at CNN covering media in a very biased Democrat fashion. New York Times reporter Mark Leibovich gave Hillary Clinton the opportunity to approve or veto her own quotes. He later explained that that was because he agreed to make the original interview off the record and then required her approval to use selected pieces of it. The pro-Hillary Clinton Super PAC American Bridge claimed that it placed negative stories about Jeb Bush with the New York Times and other news outlets. I already named some of the others. And it's unclear exactly how, but the Clinton campaign's Jennifer Palmieri got an advance briefing about a soon-to-be-published New York Times story she wrote in an email on July 8, 2015. I got a briefing on the story. It's in a much better place takes the viewpoint that 20 years after WJC, Bill Clinton, declared the big era of government is over, HRC, Hillary Clinton, is putting forward more liberal agenda that would expand government's role. It refers to HRC's policy ideas as opposed to plans, notes she hasn't rolled them out yet, and will do an economic speech on Monday. It says that if her ideas were enacted, they would likely cost in the hundreds of billions of dollars does not put a number on it, which is good. There's a good bit in there about Bernie's plans, too, and how he would represent a bigger expansion of government and questions whether HRC's agenda will be seen as progressive enough in comparison. It should post later tonight or tomorrow. Who was giving the Clinton campaign all of that detail on a yet-to-be-published story? November 13, 2015, Clinton campaign press secretary Brian Fallon indicated the campaign had successfully planted a negative story 
about Senator Charles Grassley, a Republican, in the New York Times. He wrote, quote, After hitting a wall with other outlets, New York Times will do a story about DeSanto. Adam Gentleson in Reed's office is giving a statement saying the connection is troubling and raises questions could pop this weekend. Three days later, the New York Times' Maggie Haberman published the article questioning whether a State Department official, DeSanto, was improperly leaking damaging information to Grassley. Haberman is a noted publisher of Democrat propaganda, and she has often published false and misleading information, and yet her career never seems to suffer for it. She continues to work her way up the chain. She had previously been lauded as a cooperative journalist by Clintonites when she worked at Politico. Which brings me to Politico, perhaps one of the best servants for the Democratic agenda. In April of 2015, Chief Politico political correspondent Glenn Thrush sent part of an article to John Podesta, the Clinton campaign official, for approval before it was published. He wrote, Thrush, please don't share or tell anyone I did this. Because I have become a hack, I will send you the whole section that pertains to you. Tell me if I effed up anything. Podesta signed off and the article was published. An email on April 17, 2015 also shows that Thrush sent eight paragraphs from a pre-publication article to that Clinton Communications Director Jennifer Palmieri with the title, Please Read ASAP, Don't Share. Palmer then apparently shared, writing her colleagues, Glenn Thrush is doing a story about how well launch went, meaning Hillary Clinton's launch for the presidential race, and some part of it will be about me, which I hate. He did me the courtesy of sending what he's going to say about me. Seems fine. Staffers at the propaganda group Media Matters say they, quote, knew they could dump stuff to Ben Smith, formerly a Politico. Then he became the editor-in-chief at BuzzFeed.com. This person said, quote, Ben Smith will take stories and write what you want him to write. Politico chief investigative reporter at the time, Ken Vogel, emailed a soon-to-be-published story to Democratic National Committee official Mark Paustenbach, quote, per agreement, and invited his, quote, thoughts. Paustenbach gave the draft to the DNC, the Democrat National Committee's head of communications, Luis Miranda. Paustenbach emailed Miranda, quote, Vogel gave me his story ahead of time before it goes to his editors as long as I didn't share it. In his effort to get an interview with Chelsea Clinton, Mike Allen... Politico's chief political reporter at the time, offered to provide questions in advance, he said, quote, precisely agreed upon with a Hillary Clinton aide. He wrote, quote, the interview would be no surprises. I would work with you on topics and would start with anything she wants to cover or make news on quicker than a network hit and reaching an audience you care about with no risk. After the email became public, Allen apologized and said he would never do what he offered to do in the email. PBS. The Clinton campaign apparently arranged for PBS to, quote, put the news out about the reversal of Clinton's support for the Trans-Pacific Partnership, TPP trade deal, in an interview with PBS's Judy Woodruff on October 7, 2015. The Clinton campaign implied that it retained control over the timing of the rollout of the news on PBS and planned a coincident paper release statement. Quote, I told PBS to hold until 3.45 p.m. and that we would send the statement to our travelers after they put the news out. We should give them 15 minutes of breathing space. 
writes the campaign's Jennifer Palmieri in an email. She noted, quote, we can move up PBS's time if need be. Salon, another noted propaganda group, a Media Matters source, said that Salon proved to be a helpful news outlet for getting its message across, of course, as well as the San Francisco Chronicle. The Media Matters source said that Joe Garofoli at the Chronicle, quote, took a lot of our stuff. Vox, the Clinton campaign, believed it could use Ezra Klein of the liberal blog Vox to spin on the Hillary Clinton email controversies in 2015, according to emails released by WikiLeaks. The pro-Hillary Clinton super PAC American Bridge claimed that it placed negative stories about Jeb Bush with the Wall Street Journal, adding them to the list. The Washington Post, the Democratic National Committee, conducted negative research about Donald Trump on behalf of Dana Milbank of the Washington Post, according to emails. On April 21, 2016, a Democratic National Committee official wrote to colleagues, quote, research request, top 10 worst Trump quotes, Milbank doing a Passover-themed 10 plagues of Trump. Off the top of my head, I'm thinking, punish women, Mexicans as rapists, ban Muslims, shoot someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue, rough up BLM protester, anchor baby, do a lot worse than waterboarding, blood coming out of her wherever, spill beans on Ted's wife, talked about penis on stage at debate, any other big things I'm missing, and can you pull bullets for these? The resulting Milbank article entitled The Ten Plagues of Trump cited eight of the suggestions provided by the DNC. Democratic National Committee officials also discussed placing a story with the Washington Post Greg Sargent to put a positive spin on some bad news for Hillary Clinton. The goal was, quote, to make sure the first story out of the gate is as helpful as possible, according to an email by a DNC official. But the specific reporter is not as important as getting it to an outlet before the news breaks so we can help control the narrative on the front end. Otherwise, this may get likely spun in a not-so-helpful way. We should also get Representative Elijah Cummings on the phone with that reporter. The email continues, Can we please consider giving Sargent, the Washington Post reporter, the first bite to get a good first story out there? Can I have him call you? We've been working with him for weeks in general on writing up something positive. We think he'd play ball. Again, think of how these political operatives are using the press to determine the timing of a story before news breaks to get on the front end of it in a positive way to manipulate the public narrative. That's not how an independent news organization is supposed to be operating. Staffers at Media Matters said they counted on the liberal plumb line, which was that same reporter Sargent's Washington Post blog, to report what they wanted. The source said, quote, Greg Sargent will write anything you give him. He was the go-to guy to leak stuff. If you can't get it anywhere else, Greg Sargent's always game. Media Matters also said that we've pushed stories to Eugene Robinson and E.J. Dion at the Washington Post. And the Hillary Clinton super PAC, American Bridge, claimed to place negative stories about Jeb Bush with the Washington Post, in addition to all the other news outlets I've named. There's more. And imagine what we don't have record of. Those were just some of the emails that leaked about that 2015 time period. This goes on every day. I call it transactional journalism. And if you go to my website, CherylAckison.com, I will repost an article that I wrote about all of this, or you can just search at CherylAckison.com under the title Newsgate, because the article is titled Newsgate 2016 and Beyond. And I actually link 
to a lot of the stories and citations and the actual emails you can read more about. If we don't demand better from our news, if we don't demand better from our politicians, our federal agencies, look what they become. How can we fight back against this control of information at this late date with so much of it taken over? Well, right now, I think our biggest weapon in the arsenal is knowledge. If you understand that's what they're doing, you can weight what they report accordingly. You can even use what they report to ask the question, what are they trying to hide? When you see the same narratives reported by so many in the media, often using the same sources or the same anonymous sources, perhaps, and using the same language and taking the same tact, your question ought to be, who wants me to believe this and why? Yes, it can be difficult and time-consuming to do your own research to understand what information to trust, but at least asking the question puts you at a good starting point. And at CherylAckinson.com, I try to publish original sourcing when possible, links to actual documents, transcripts, court documents, so that you can see if something has been spun in a way that is inaccurate or maybe is spun in a way that actually has different interpretations. It's why I like to say, do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you'll share this podcast and leave a great review. And now you can support independent journalism, which has never been more important, by visiting CherylAckison.com and clicking the store tab. There are some thought-provoking and fun products designed exclusively for independent and free thinkers like you, with proceeds from sales benefiting various independent reporting causes. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.